1975, I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas, American Indian Arts. At that time, I went into the hospital for an emergency operation. After they released me, I went to stay for a period of time with my best friend and her husband. They were both church people, and they had a large library at their house. I was reading one of their books one night, August 5th, 1975. The book was about the subject of sin. I had been baptized in water when I was 15 years old, and I thought it was a Christian because I'd gone forward and been baptized. But I didn't have the Spirit of God given to me. I wasn't convicted of sin at that time. Actually, I didn't even know I was committing sin. I thought I was making mistakes. That night, as I was reading that book, God said to me, Joan, you know these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. And I said, oh, sins? I thought they were mistakes. At that instant, I was born again. I was completely changed by God. It wasn't that I learned and then was changed. He revealed himself to me by those words, and I was instantly a different person. We read about that experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's an instant experience. The one thing that happens to most of us, I think, after we're born again We want to read the Bible. And we want to be with people of God. And we're not interested in many of the things that we did before. And we no longer like to be around those worldly people that we were around before. We just find it goes dead when we're with them. We want to be with people of God. And we think that the people of God are at the churches. That is a logical assumption. And that's often where we go after we're born again. Not only to try to find out things about God and things of God, but to be with the people of God. So it is very, very normal to want to go to church after you are born again. A month or so after this happened to me, in the night, I was transported into heaven. I was with God. I was with Christ. I was with the Holy Spirit. I saw no images. It was a spiritual experience, but I knew I was with them. And at that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God. God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. 
The morning after this happened, I was on fire for things of God. I no longer cared anything about my business. All I wanted to do was read the Bible, go to church, and then also I later went to a prayer group that was in our neighborhood. Then a few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me again. I was transported into heaven, and I was made one with the Word of God. The exact same thing that happened to me the first time happened to me also the second time. I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't tell anyone about it because I really thought this happened to everyone who was a Christian. I had a young friend. He was 10 years younger than I, and we were having breakfast one morning. And I said to him, Bill, you're absolutely right about this thing of being a Christian. It is wonderful. And I said, the thing I like is that thing that happens in the night. Bill was eating his breakfast and just kind of shoveling the food into his mouth. He always reminded me of a St. Bernard puppy. And so he said, what thing that happens in the night? And I said, I don't know what it's called. It's that thing when you're taken into heaven and you're with God and you're with Jesus and you're with the Holy Spirit. By that time, I noticed Bill had quit eating and put his fork down and he was staring directly at me. And he said, what are you talking about? And this is the first time I ever realized this wasn't a normal thing of just being a Christian that it didn't happen to everyone who was really born again. I was reading a book at that time about Exodus, and the author of that book said sometimes when you are called by God for a work of God, you will have an unusual experience happen to you, similar to Moses and the burning bush. I still didn't tell anyone. Well, I told my best friend, Donna, but she, being a former Baptist, just was very emotional, and she just started crying. She was absolutely no help at all in helping me find out what had happened. I said no more about it to anyone else. I continued to go to church and the prayer group, and I also read the Bible hours every day because I did not have to go into my business except to do appraisals. In the prayer group, something happened one day. The ladies were all praying, and I had my head bowed, and someone was praying aloud. And I heard, look up. I opened my eyes and looked up, and on the wall, I saw an outline of what I knew to be a part of the human body. I knew I had seen that part before, but I didn't know what it was called. So I'm talking to God while they're praying. And I say, I know that's a part of the human body, but I don't know what it's called. And I heard the word stomach. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a stomach. And I remembered those old Pepto-Bismol commercials that were on television at that time. After the women quit praying, I gathered enough courage to say, Does anyone have a stomach problem? And one woman jumped up and down and said, I do, I do. 
So I assume everybody prayed for. All I could think about was what had just happened to me. Because this is the first time God ever gave me a word of knowledge, the spiritual gift, word of knowledge. Now, I've had a great many of those experiences since that time in 1975. I had a young friend in East Texas who owned a sound system business, and he came all the way over to Lubbock in West Texas to help me purchase equipment and set up my sound system. The day that I met David, which was in 2010, as he was leaving my house, he said to me, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but they think I have ALS. And I just said, oh. And he said, I'm going into Houston on Monday for tests, and they'll know for sure. Well, I had a partner at the Bridge Center who had ALS. She got it when she was 74, which is a little unusual. Most of the time it hits young men. And I had seen her go through this problem, and I was available when she died. I wasn't with her when she died, but we were all very aware of this. So I knew how bad this could get. Of course, I prayed that God would heal David, and that I even prayed that this wouldn't be ALS. But you have to pray according to the will of God, and it was ALS. The doctors gave him two and a half years to live. Many church people in East Texas where he lived were praying for David. During that time, I had a vision of David. And again, I saw it on the wall, just like I'd seen that first um, uh, word of knowledge that I had back in 75. David was on a golf course, and he was jumping up and down, and he was totally whole. And he was waving to us, come on, come on, join me. This is great, is what he was basically saying with his gestures. I knew David was dying, and I knew his spiritual condition was okay. I I mean, at least that's what I felt the interpretation was of the vision I'd seen. A few days later, a man who worked for David had come to Lubbock on business, and he came to see me, and he also was a church-going person. And he said something about David, and they were all praying he would be healed, and I said, David is dying. And Clay was shocked, but I told him the vision I'd had of David, that he was on a golf course, he was totally whole, and he was jumping up and down and signaling for us to come join him. It was wonderful. Clay said, don't you think that shows that David is going to be healed? And I said, no, Clay, David is dying. But his spiritual condition is okay. David died about two days later. I sent his wife and children a copy of this vision I had of David, hoping that it would encourage them. I also suggested they read it at David's funeral that it would encourage the people. I don't know whether they did or not. He lived 600 miles from me on the other side of the state. This is the way God began working with me on spiritual gifts, of the gifts he had given me. There are many spiritual gifts. And God chooses, as he wills, to give us 
those spiritual gifts. As a brand new Christian without any real background in Scripture, I had something happen which I believe was a gift of faith, exceptional faith, because faith is one of the spiritual gifts. Now, we all have faith, but sometimes there is a gift of faith that is extraordinary and takes us through a circumstance that we really have no way of getting through. And it's a spiritual gift of faith. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. If we go back to verse 4, it starts telling us about the spiritual gifts. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. I think that vision that I had of the stomach was a word of knowledge. Well, David was too. David's, this vision of David was a word of knowledge because it simply showed me what was going to happen to David. It was knowledge, word of knowledge. To another faith by the same Spirit. That's in verse 9. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as God wills. We could also have special gifts of the Holy Spirit at any given moment as we might need them. It's all by the will of God. We never earn it or are worthy of it or anything like that. It's just something God does, sort of like being born again. It's by the will of God. Well, that exceptional gift of faith that came upon me when I was a new Christian was this. I owned a business and a young woman without real cause filed a lawsuit against me, took me to court. I had a word which I believed was from God and that, well, two words, it was don't testify. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't testify or it doesn't even mean that I shouldn't testify, God forbid, that a future situation would occur. But in that specific instance, the word was don't testify. Don't testify in this trial where this woman is taking you to court. So I told my lawyer that he might not want to represent me because I'm, I was a Christian and I believed I'd heard from God not to testify in the court trial. He said, oh, no, Joan, I'll still represent you. Flo witnessed the situation. Flo worked for me. And she witnessed it, and she can testify. There were several things I didn't count on happening. When Flo heard I wasn't going to testify, she became very angry. And she said to me, 
now that you're not going to testify, all the burden is upon me. I said, well, I'm sorry, but what can I do? I believe I've heard from God not to testify. The man I was dating at the time was very upset with me because I wasn't going to testify. He said to me, you're not doing this girl any good by not testifying. And I said, I'm not trying to do this girl any good. I'm trying to obey God. I think he's told me not to testify. I'm just trying to do what I think God has told me to do. We got into the trial, and the thing didn't go very well with Flo's testimony. And my lawyer said, Joan, her testimony wasn't as strong as I expected it to be. But if you will testify, we'll win this case. So even in the courtroom, I said, well, give me a few minutes and I'll see. And I got up and left the courtroom, went into the ladies' room, and began praying. I said, God, what do you want me to do about this court trial? And I heard, don't testify. So I went back into the courtroom, and my lawyer looked at me as I entered the room, and I just shook my head, no. He didn't ask me any more to testify. He didn't say any more about it. We did win the case. I was acquitted of all charges. But there was a one point in this situation where I said to God, Ooh, I hope you know what you're doing. You're going to cause us to lose this case. But that didn't happen. We won the case. And looking back on it, I really can't see how in the world I could have followed that word. I knew nothing at that time. I had no teaching whatsoever about the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, knowing the wisdom that's from God. I had nothing to evaluate that word. It's just that I believed it was from God. I think that was a pure gift of faith at the time. So God helps us with these spiritual gifts as well as other people. I would often have a spiritual gift of word of knowledge given to me at the Bible class, and the teacher always said things like, Does anyone have a word from the Lord? At what, which point it was proper to present the word that I had for the people in the class. Same thing happened at some of the prayer groups I went to and at other church services. People began to say to me, We know the hand of God is on you. How did they know? They saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they knew I had a call of God on my life. Although you could have the gift of the Holy Spirit without having a call of God on your life. In a later report, you'll hear two stories where Pam Paget had word of knowledge. So you don't have to be called as a minister. But they would say that to me. Everywhere I was, people would say that to me. And they were seeing that gift, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were operating through me. By their fruits, you will know them. And they recognized that this was unusual and that I had some type of call of God on my life. Later, I found I had a spiritual gift of exhortation. God put me on the radio through a miraculous means in 1980. He had been training me for five years for the ministry. And in 1980, in the night a very loud trumpet-like voice blew three words in my ears. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. 
I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJF on a notepad by my bed because it seemed to me it would be call letters to either radio or television, and I didn't want to get the letters mixed up. So I quickly wrote those letters on this notepad. As soon as I could that night or the next morning, I looked up KWJS and found it to be a radio station. And then I said to God, Are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. And I heard immediately, Call the radio station manager. That was the Holy Spirit. Now, I think the trumpet-like voice that I heard in the night was an angel of God because they have very powerful voices. I've seen several times in the Bible where it was described that way concerning angels. And I think that was an angel of God. And I really know that the call the radio station manager was the voice of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit searches the heart of God to show us the will of God, and he brings it to our mind in the form of a thought. And when the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, it's usually just a very gentle statement. It wasn't a driving thing. It was more like just information. I said to God, I wouldn't know how to do that, and I heard, call the radio station manager. And that's the way the Holy Spirit operates. He gives us options. He gives us ideas that we haven't thought of. And he just gives us pure information. He is the Spirit of truth. And he's also the Comforter. Jesus called him both of these names. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus spoke of the work that the Holy Spirit would do. He will teach us all things, remind us of everything Jesus has said, guide us into all truth, and show us things to come. Those four things are in those two passages of Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 16, verse 13. So I called the radio station manager that morning and I said, God might be showing me to go on radio. How would you do that? And the station manager said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long and send it to me. And if you fit our program, we we will offer you a contract. That same morning, I got my tape recorder and my kitchen timer and made a 29 and a half minute tape put it in the mail that same day to the station manager. Within five days, I was broadcasting exhortations to the church on radio station KWJS. During the five years that God was teaching me, between 1975, the time I was born again, and 1980, when he put me on radio, During those five years, God was teaching me when I would read the Bible. The first scripture I remember him ever showing me was John chapter 5, verse 30, where Jesus says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear from God, I judge. 
And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. That scripture really surprised me. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, who of his own self can do nothing. But he's hearing from God the Father. God started teaching me about the Holy Spirit, how to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, the workings of the Holy Spirit, and following the Holy Spirit. And during those five years, he taught me to ask him for wisdom. He took me through all of the Proverbs on the subject of wisdom and taught me to pray and ask him for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. He taught me so many things about the Holy Spirit, and what the characteristics of the wisdom of God are. First thing he taught me was God's yoke is easy, and his burden is light. So if you have an idea that's terribly complex and terribly expensive, start praying again because you have not heard from God. We had two people at that time at the church that quit their secular jobs. This was a married couple. And they reported that God had called them to go to Israel to minister. So they quit their secular jobs and went to Israel. About a week later, they were back at church. And, of course, we all wanted to know what happened. And they reported they got to Israel. They didn't speak the language. There was nothing they could do but turn around and come home. Apparently, it was a voice not of God that was telling them to go to Israel. The devil will try to imitate God to try to lead you in a direction that would be harmful to you. So you really have to understand how to follow God. But the basic thing he first showed me was Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And by that, I would evaluate the information that I had to see if it was from God. Also, James 3.17 tells us how to know the wisdom that is from above. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And I lived by this scripture by evaluating the ideas that were brought to my mind, by evaluating whether they were from God or not. Because ideas can come to us from our own desires. Ideas can come from us by devils to try to destroy us. But the wisdom that is from God is to take us in the way of God as he wills for our life at that specific point in time. It also says in James 3.17, if there's envy and strife in your life, there will be confusion and every evil work. So before you really do anything, if you know that you have envy or strife, 
you really have to pray for God to create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit in you. And that is in Psalms 51. David prayed that. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you. Tomorrow I will share another chapter from this new book that we are, have just written on the subject, Attending Church. <laughs>